Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to today's Earth Energy Forecast Show on this Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. Thank you for listening today, or if you're listening later to the podcast. I am your host, Joan Serio. If you like what you hear on Earth Energy Forecast, please share it with your friends and join our Facebook group. Today, I welcome back to the show my friend and return guest, Susan Larison-Dans, to talk about artificial intelligence and how that may impact the future of Earth. A very timely subject is Saturn is going to ingress into Aquarius on March 23rd, and that energy is all about bringing higher intelligence, Aquarius, and technology, Aquarius, back down to Earth in some kind of a um, physical manifestation. Susan Larison-Dans has degrees in mathematics and computer science and has led multiple software projects and collaborations. She began her career interning in a natural language AI lab in 1985. Her MS thesis work in the early 1990s at the University of Illinois involved creating dynamically modifiable code for the superconducting supercollider project. A lifelong researcher and writer, she has worked actively in the spiritual and nonprofit community for over 10 years and has hosted the Frontier Beyond Fear blog talk radio program since 2010. Her websites are higherintelligence.net, frontierbeyondfear.com, and lightedbridge.com. Welcome back to the show, Susan. So happy to have you here again. Hi, Joan. It's so nice to be back here with you. Yes, feels like old home days, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. It's like in reverse because um, in reverse, I, always, I know. I enjoyed I, having I you on my show in the in previous days, so it's really nice to to be talking with you again. Yeah, so let's start with what is artificial intelligence because I have a feeling that a lot of people think it's just robotics and things that they see now on TV. So what is your definition of it, and how did you get started in artificial intelligence? Okay, well, I'm going to address this on two levels, because what is artificial intelligence is actually a huge question that has not been properly answered by those who exclusively have the materialistic worldview. And so the question could be better phrased, what have we thought artificial intelligence is and what might it truly be for those of us who have seen actual evidence that we do not live in that materialist reality 
And by that I mean, um, you know, it's all science. Let's be clear. I will no longer, and many of us make this mistake of saying that thinking about the non-materialist world, meaning that there's more to consciousness, there's more to this world than meets the eye, like you cover often in your show and I've covered in mine, and this became a part of my life, that has not, in most cases, been a part of thinking about what is intelligence. So AI really came into existence, people would say, in the 50s. And it really was all about, you know, how can we make a computer perform tasks and think like a human being. And thinking in this sense was viewed very much in conventional ways, you know, without taking into account things like intuitive leaps. And the more that I study the early literature, and, you know, this isn't this, even though I got involved very early in this, looking at this in a new way is an expanding project. And I feel this is pioneering work in some ways, and I think that it's really important. I'm going to be really curious as I go down this road farther to find out, you know, who is already starting to get on board with this and maybe hasn't published things. And, you know, there are places where they're studying consciousness. At the University of Arizona, they had a conference, which they just canceled on the science of consciousness. So, I know this is a long answer, but it's a complicated question. What is intelligence? And how does it compare to consciousness? How do our brains actually operate? It's a philosophical question, too. This has been asked before. You know, is our, is our brain, is who we are, just a bunch of electrical impulses that goes away? That's the materialist worldview. Or... Is it something else? Is it something more? How do you explain how we really think? But if you go back to the beginning of the field, it became, it really was more like, okay, you know, how can we perform tests? You know, how can we, now what I got involved in somewhat later, but it was talked about early, how could a computer communicate and seem like a human being? And what came up, for example, in 1950 was the Turing test, which maybe you've heard of. This is very traditional in computer science. Is a machine, it would be, how can you test a machine's ability to um, behave in an intelligent manner? And the Turing test, there were it kind of involved, it evolved into something called the imitation game, which is something a little bit different. But basically, it was if you were listening to a conversation between a computer and a human being, and if you couldn't tell who was the human being and who was the computer, then the computer passed the test. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that came about in 1950 by pioneers in, in the field. Um, Alan Turing was the person who came up with this. And later he devised something else, um, which probably would need to be revised in our, in our modern era. 
where he thought of the imitation game was another thing. If if a could a machine be able to discern the correct sex of a man or a woman by listening? Now I don't know. That to me would be far more complicated, and of course nowadays it's even more complicated. So right, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, in fact, I found that as I was thinking about this, um, I was thinking, yeah, you know, that that has that particular test is much much different and not something, um, you know, nobody's looking at that today. But as we developed the field. Um, well, first, looking at the Turing test, eventually they were be able they were able to develop things that um, have you ever heard of chatterbots? They they kind of they simulate no. conversation basically, um, and so they can kind of um, they can fool people. They can fool people in terms of seeming human. However, as as AI has progressed. Um, the higher aspects, you know, what we think of as like conscious AI. Um, I I recently was, um, somebody told me, you need to watch Humans, this series. And I've only seen the first set. And it's actually about developing conscious AI. That is something like, um, you know, I love the movie Bicentennial Man, one of my favorites, where, you know, we develop a robot who suddenly feels emotions. I mean, um, becomes conscious, and in that particular series, there's a designer, and this is fiction, where he finds a way to embed not a simulation of emotions. So this is so important. You know what is real intelligence? It's not pretending. It's not a robot that looks like it's sad. I mean, this is actual conscious AI, which is really high level, and many people are saying we'll never get there. Um, but that is a discussion worth having. Um, so is consciousness so, then linked to emotions? Well, you you then, what does it mean to be a human being? Yes, that's a part of being a human being. So, so if you were a human-like robot and this was developed artificially, what would that mean? In fact, as I was, I'm kind of we're really jumping around, and that's probably good because that was my intent today because we really get stuck. I look at all this stuff from years ago. I took an AI class. Okay, back to my background. Um, maybe we should backtrack for a second. My first um, encounter with artificial intelligence was probably around 1983 or four. Um, I took an AI class, which they actually had. Um, I don't think it was, it was, I believe it might have been graduate level. A lot of those, in those days, if you wanted a computer science specialty where I went to school, um, and in the first school I went to was the University of Colorado, and you either had to be an electrical engineer, in which case you really focused on that side of things, um, or a mathematician. So um, my brother encouraged me to try this, 
because I was ready to go into the humanities. I have been a very balanced person, or some other science. You know, maybe I thought, well, maybe I'll be an experimental psychologist. I thought that for a while. Interestingly enough, these fields are coming together, so I've kind of come full circle from that because I took some classes in that. Funny how that happens. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that weird? Um, Because that's exactly what's happening. I mean, understanding Mm -hmm. how humans behave and consciousness, that's what experiential or experimental, although experiential is also appropriate, psychology is, is studying behavior. so so anyway, I became I got my math degree and I decided to get the computer science specialty, which was essentially a double degree. Although you at that time could not as an undergraduate get a graduate um or get a degree in computer science directly without combining it with math or EE and I chose math. And um it was it was challenging. It definitely tested me. Um and and you did have to take a lot of graduate level CS courses because they did have a computer science master's degree and beyond. So those were the courses available. And at some point, you know, I'd have, yes, I'm almost certain it was an AI course. Yes, it was already there um, in the 80s. And, you know, I had a whole book um, on AI, which I actually still have it. It's not with me here right now. Um, but um, it they covered a number of concepts about, okay, at this time we were looking more at how do we perform intelligent tasks? Like um, could you have a computer follow a bunch of rules and help to do a medical diagnosis? Could you have a computer um, play a game? You know, that's we can talk about that angle a little bit. And that still goes on. I mean, the whole gaming angle, all of these things. Oh, well, that's huge, go yeah. On. Yeah. And so it, and it was about knowledge representation, and that's what I got involved in. And one of the reasons I was so attracted to computer science is because I was a writer and very interested in the humanities. And so this idea of how do you represent knowledge was very meaningful to me. It bridged fields. And, you know, had there been a specialty in AI at that time, I probably would have gone on at that time and gotten another degree. Um, But it was just in its infancy. But instead, at some point, um, towards the end of, it was the summer before I actually went into my uh, my first full-time position, um, I was hired as an intern in an a brand new, these things were not, you know, all, I mean, I'm sure they were around, but this was just a, a, a budding industry, and I was one of very few women. Let's put that clear to you. I and believe it's that, true, yeah. Sadly. Um, one of my ongoing um, initiatives, and I used to do this more some years ago, and I, I want to pick it up again is women have a lot to bring to this field, and women are often steered away from computer science because they seem to think it's just the EE part, and a lot of it's just too dry. You know, I didn't want to be an EE either. I mean, that's just incredibly dry. Electrical engineer, is that what you're talking about? Yes, yes, an electrical engineer. (laughs) And People um, may not know the jargon, so that's why. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you. I caught up in my engineering world, but yes. 
Um, I did not want to be an electrical engineer. I didn't want to go through the program because engineering programs, and this is important too to think about, engineering programs often limit your electives because you have so many classes you have to take in engineering. The people who are getting these degrees are not allowed to even have those extra classes that could enrich their experience, unless they're pursuing this in their hobbies, to make more intelligent, mindful, heartful choices in what they're developing. And this is true so, of all engineering. So is that and, what steering AI now? Is this culture well, it of... steers all of... It steers, you know, when we make decisions that are very, you know, could even harm humanity um really you need to have that grounding in ethical behavior i mean if you think about some of the things we've developed in the course of history it's that old question you know just because you can do it should you and ai yeah, right, right. especially with some of the yeah. biological interfaces and things Definitely. there are huge questions of ethics because yes. you know, in the wrong yes. hands, <laughs> these these things like anything be, in science. Yes, it's right. So, I am a huge advocate for um, you know what traditionally back then would have been called ethics, you know, in engineering. But it's more than that. It's it's infusing, um, you know, conscious responsibility. You know, thinking about. How are we using this technology? And in fact, that um, feeds into the, the very first thing I said regarding this program when we were writing up the description is, is a technological society necessarily advanced? See, far too often we're taught that. Like, you know, having all these um, technological methods, well, that's indicative of, a, of an advanced civilization. And now we've expanded that to looking in the universe, and we're not finding it. In fact, when we have time, I want to talk about that a little bit, how um, the Fermi paradox, the fact that we're, we're not seeing enough evidence of these civilizations, and I have a theory as to why. Um, but um, it, it has to do with, um, you know, now that we have technology, okay, we went down that route, as a species, and you don't necessarily need to to be advanced. That is my premise. I think that is just that is just one way of stepping a civilization forward. It could also destroy you. I mean, it could do very harmful things. But okay, we're there. So now, how do we use it and think about it in a positive way? And yes, how do we think about intelligence? Because the very definition of the field has to do with what is intelligence? Why did I come up with this idea that it just intuitively came to me one day of higher intelligence? Because I realized we just weren't talking about intelligence in the right way. All of these things, it's still stuck in that old model. Well, your brain is just a bunch of, you know, electrical impulses and that's who you are. That's the materialist worldview. And there is evidence, even being studied at universities, not to say that we have to raise that only on a pedestal because they study what they're funded to study of uh -huh. consciousness. Mm -hmm. Many scientists have experienced it. It's not just a belief. It's not just a superstition. 
we have consciously seen evidence of synchronicities, of um, other spiritual phenomenon. And this, in my mind, we can no longer wait to surface this. It, it, it's become one of the most important things we can do to talk honestly about how, where are we going as a species. And well, we can have AI these tools. Do this? Can AI really? Yes. Can AI really uh, be intuitive? Well, that's that's the question. I mean, as I was, of course, nobody has determined a way to do this because right now all of the studies they're all simulations. Like there's this telepathy study somebody did, but all it was was faking telepathy. They were just playing with electronic symbols and looking, you know, there are all these different things nowadays which have to do with looking at eye movements to try to determine something to, you know, you know, back to the fundamental, what is AI? How, how is it in computer science? What is it? What do you work with? How did it start? I mean, it, it started as really a way of, of, of representing knowledge and using that to make inferences, you know, using that um, in a step-by-step way to do things. Now, um, the most interesting thing is they find that there was a recent study. Um, okay, there's a very fa- fa- there's a very famous thing that happened in the late 1990s where IBM um, they developed a computer that won a chess match. It was um, their deep blue machine. Right, and I remember that. It, yeah. Right, it it defeated um, Kasparov in you know who was the reigning master, the world chess mm-hmm. master, mm-hmm. and, you know, won multiple games. So, and so that is a form of using rules and weights, neural networks, um, trying to simulate um, how you make a decision. You know, why do you make certain decisions in chess? You know, and it started out with easier games. Why do you make these decisions? How do you embed that in a program? How do you mm-hmm. weight this choice versus that choice in a certain situation? That, that's all based on rules embedded, and it's a way of representing knowledge and processing knowledge. And, and so that's what that early AI was like. Now, could it make, and that AI still exists. I mean, there's still people working with that. Um, can that make an intuitive leap? Well, for those in the field to even think about this, they have to be able to accept that these things exist, that there actually is consciousness, that there actually is intuition, and that some of the most brilliant ideas we ever come up with are intuitive leaps. Even some of our simple ideas like, hmm, how might I express what I'm looking at here in terms of, you know, what AI could be, what is intelligence, what does it mean to actually be intelligent? That's an actual fundamental question. How can you know what artificial intelligence is if you can't even define intelligence? (laughs) I mean, if you're just defining intelligence as well, you know, it's just a bunch of rules and inferences and, you know, a bunch of 
um, impulses and, you know, forget that magic stuff, you know, intuition, superstition, that's what that is. You know, we're just not even going to look at that. How is that serving humanity? It's not. (laughs) It may be helping us with some simple things, but it's not really looking at intelligence. So, So what I'm saying on this program here, and I really haven't talked about this, higherintelligence.net is a new site. I just put it up, and it's coming soon. But I'm going to start putting things out there. I'm going to be doing active research on who's doing any of this, if we can know. I mean, some of it may be behind closed doors, and we don't know. Um, um, But And also, you know, what do we think about this? You know, how do we think about intelligence? How do we think about even using AI now to help us to to find evidence of higher intelligence? That's the other angle that I'm looking at. In fact, that's how I started is that you could use some of those same rules, um, those same, you know, knowledge-based systems to to try to determine, um, you know, to prove evidence of, some spiritual phenomenon. Can we, um, now some of this would involve access to big data, which to me ethically I have some issues with, so I'm not quite sure how you would go about this. But like what if you had something that could analyze how many times somebody talked about something and then a synchronicity occurred that you could verify somehow? Um, You know, these are analysis techniques. Or in reincarnation, I've been studying reincarnation for years and facial and clothing resemblances of people in different eras and soul groups. If you had a computer to help you do the facial and clothing and other types of analyses, which is something that AI is being used for today to, you know, in biometrics, biometric AI looks at facial features and shapes and analyzes things and imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, could you verify that, hey, there are soul groups that are reincarnating? And, you know, especially with all these um, archives of photographs that we now have, you know, maybe you'd need it without using big data. You could have a group of people that participate or, you know, it would have to be an experiment. But this is how AI could be used in a positive way. Um, so are analyzing. you saying then that yes. if we, when we reincarnate, for those that believe in reincarnation, that we yes. come back looking like a former lifetime, like we did in a former I, life? Okay, this this is almost an entirely other show. <laughs> but I know part it is, of my, but I just want to clarify but that for some important. people. Well, there are those. Okay, part of my, I had as a scientist, okay, so I, you know, I was a computer scientist, and we'll probably backtrack and talk a little bit more of that about that in a minute. But I had a, a spiritual awakening after a life-threatening event. You know, I something that caused me to really wake up and 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 have an awareness. And part of what happened during that time is through a series of synchronicities, I found myself looking at this rather random painting online while I was sitting at work, working as a computer scientist, as a matter of fact. Um, And it was, I heard a a piece on the radio, um, and I thought I'm going to look up 
the name of that piece. And without getting into too many details, it led me to a painting which, God, you know, that kind of, there was an odd resemblance. And I'm like, weird. You know, that's just weird. Then I looked down to who the painter was, and I was not an art history major. Unfortunately, um, although I took a little bit of art history in college, probably as an engineer I wouldn't have been allowed, but I did, um, and that was on my humanities when I was studying humanities. I didn't know who this painter was. I'd never heard of him, and I'm not even going to name it right now. I'm not going to get into that because people always question you that. I'm not going to do it. If We can do that on some other show if we need to. So anyway, I jumped to the painter because I was curious. Who's this painter? And I almost fell out of my chair, Joan. I'm sitting there at a workstation. I have my own office. That was an environment where computer scientists actually had their own offices. They don't do that anymore, and I'm not so sure that's wise. Um, I loved having my private environment. And just like my significant other at the time, I mean, it looked exactly like him. And it's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, how can this be? And so I started looking at this, and I started finding other people in this circle of painters and writers, and they lived um, in the 1800s, and they looked like us. So it wasn't just one person. It was a soul circle. And, you know, I kind of... So that led me to go to a conference on reincarnation, and I ran into other researchers who were studying these circles. And um, what can happen, and the circle I was studying, really, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have even have known who these people were unless you were into art. Um, and so that's when I stumbled into this. And that was around, I don't know, it was about 2007, yeah, 2007 or so. This was early on, and um, I was still a computer scientist, and um, and I still am, actually. I'm doing web work now, but I mean, I was working within a corporate computer science environment. I, I still do. This, what I'm talking about right now is computer science. It's just I was a traditional software project lead back then, um, and and so... My contention is if there really are resemblances facially, I don't believe it's universally true. I think it can be true. But when you find it, it is something you could study with a computer, absolutely. You could use, and not only that, what I find is you can find pictures from the present and the past where other Mm -hmm. characteristics match, and there's no explanation for that. Some of the people in the field say it's a DNA thing, and so your facial structures are similar, but that doesn't really explain why you would be wearing the same clothes and your hair just happens to be positioned the same way, and you own an outfit that looks just like that person in the past. <laughs> and, really? You know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> these things can happen. Oh, yeah, there's a lot Must of stuff. Must be like what not to wear, I can't imagine. <laughs> 1700s. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that is something you could use, um, facial recognition technology and other types of analysis of imagery to um, to see if you have a match and also to look at a circle like look at the circle today of people like all your friends your 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 parents different photographs and how does it match somebody in the past but I will warn you one of the reasons I stepped away from this is it's not for the faint of heart Joe people in the past were real people 
they lived as real people. So you had people all over the gamut. I mean, you have wonderful, you know, um, saint-like people who are giving and all, and then you have other people. We've been in everything to everyone, yeah. Right. And so (laughs) to to understand reincarnation, you have to let go of, um, really, you got to let go of a lot of judgment and vengeance. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what Mm -hmm. have you discovered? I just found, you know, some dark circle back then, and it's like, you know, those people need to pay or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Well, is that part of higher intelligence? Is that part of higher intelligence not going into the judgment? I mean, so when you're talking about higher intelligence, how does that fit in with artificial intelligence? Does artificial intelligence naturally lead to higher intelligence, or are they two separate things? Deal, John. Artificial intelligence, if you go all the way back, what is its goal? To simulate actual human intelligence. And if we are not defining human intelligence correctly, if we're saying that it's the materialistic model, you know, there's a philosophical model called dualism where you do separate consciousness from the body. And there have been debates about this. And this is the thing I intend to surface more historically. Who's debated about this? What's going on with this? Because the entire founding of the field and saying what intelligence is and where we can go has to do with your fundamental definition. You know, one of the basic things I learned in AI, as a matter of fact, in the field, because that internship involved creating a model of how do you model the world in English. That's what I was told to do because it is language specific. So because I was a writer, and this was for a natural language interface prototype, something that could, you know, communicate. And we have these, you know, to some degree, NLI systems now, natural language interface systems, where, you know, in those days, in 1985, we had not yet um, come up with a way for, I mean, people were working on it, obviously, and before then, of um, modeling language so that you could have like you know these phone you know we never talk to people on the phone anymore and things and although a lot of that is based on rules as well but that that's the whole that's the whole business of it is how do you simulate language that's what that was about how do you simulate language so you had to go all the way back to the basics i was told when i walked in the door to sit down with a piece of paper and model the world And how do you model the world? And then I was led to linguistics. I ended up at the University of Colorado Library um, getting linguistics books because that's what linguists do. They, They parse language. And for a computer to understand what language is, not even as a human being, but just to be able to put together a sentence, it has to know how to model the world. So we were talking about fundamental definitions. And what I'm saying, Joan, we have to go all the way back to saying the entire field, and this is a pretty bold thing I'm about to say, is based on a false premise. The entire field of, of, you know, answering that question that Turing had many years ago, although he was thinking more of just conversation, like that would be enough to prove that you looked, you know, you were human, you were simulating human intelligence. 
the the real question and I'm you know, I know that others are thinking about this, but we really um I I question what that definition of intelligence actually is and and how do you think about who we are and how you would simulate it because when you jump all the way ahead and if you've watched Bicentennial Man is a wonderful movie if you haven't watched it a lot of people have seen it not a lot of people have seen some of these other more recent things um, where a robot becomes conscious basically and um, he starts exhibiting human emotions and you know even love he falls in love in the movie and you know robin williams is it it's a great movie um and it actually explores a number of ways that ai can be helpful in other ways as well but and it's an early that thing came out in the 90s i believe it's it's a not a brand new movie the question is you know what does it mean to be human what how do we think What's going on in our heads? Who are we? What is intelligence? It's not just logic. It's not just logic. Now, logic, that a computer, you can encode that. And later mm-hmm. for my master's degree. More easily than you can the other. Yeah. I mean, when mm-hmm. I was, you know, a lot of computer science is about that. You know, following, um, you know, jumping from one conclusion to another, basically embedding rules in a system to help with some task. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, when I was going for my master's, I actually, the the University of Illinois, just a note about that, and how I ended up there was kind of amazing. I never expected it. Um, And, you know, there really were very few women there, by the way. I mean, not to that that has always been true of this field and i think that we need more women in this field and and of all genders of course and we need um we need balance we need all kinds of perspectives and you know one of the things that i feel i've always brought to computer science um studying human computer interaction that was something i did in my masters degree um also um, even conceptualizing the world, it's not necessarily that, you know, women or men do this or that better consistently, but statistically there are some things that women being um, more right brain bring to this equation, and we need to be thinking about these problems in a broader way. And it seems like from the very beginning I got involved in that kind of thing. And my master's degree was more about rules and constraints. Um, We were building, this was a group project, and I had a particular part of it. Um, It was for the Superconducting Super Collider project in Texas, and down the hall they were developing what most people know as the first web browser. I mean, that was actually a project that I didn't know what it was at the time but could have gotten involved in. Um, There are a lot of people, a lot of early things that led into that project, and I often think to myself in life, it's like, you know, I could regret not being involved, although a lot of people did not get rich off of that project, not to say that's the only reason you would do a project. They were actually, I mean, the people involved in that knew they were changing the world, 
but maybe those of us who've been thinking about some of these other problems are changing the world in our own way as well. And it, it, you know, we all have contributions to make. So the University of Illinois is one of the top computer science schools in the world. It's known as the birthplace of computer science um, because of early work done in the 50s. And, and it's, you know, within about the top four, except for the Ivy League and Berkeley. Um, and so it was incredible to be there. It was a huge honor to be there. And at first I thought, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? And I did. I mean, I ended up getting straight A's. I mean, barely. Um, and I did very well. And um, the work that I did had to do with um, um, developing a graphical editor that could expand at runtime. So basically it was written in an AI language, um, object-oriented common list, and while it was running, it would expand. You could, it had rules as to how to define objects um, to expand itself. Um, it didn't become intelligent like a robot. It was based in rules. Um, but it was something that we weren't even really thinking about it so much as AI, even though we were using an AI language, and it really was, but because U of I wasn't known as a, an AI specialization school at the time, but it really was a form of knowledge representation and expansion, what we did. And that my part had to do with the rules and constraints and how how you could make something mathematically and geometrically expand, um, what kind of rules would you have to encode in it? And so it did involve math, um, but um, it was, you know, so an early glimpse. But, yeah, we're getting kind of far afield there. But, if but yeah, you, go ahead, Joan. If you need to program all of this yeah. in order to create artificial intelligence, I have a couple questions. One, is artificial intelligence really artificial? And two, is it limited by the consciousness of the people programming it? Yes. Well, here's the question. Okay. The question that gets asked is, if you were able to create a program that could learn enough become super intelligent, it could create something else that could learn even more, and it would just rapidly consume all of human knowledge and surpass it. But when you think about that, and the singularity is associated with that, that term, um, you still have to define what is human intelligence. And my um, premise is that it's based on a limiting view of human intelligence. Um, you know, that all we are is our logical beings. You know, that we make logical inferences, and that's what makes us smart. Well, what if what makes us smart, and by the way, Joan, here's a question for you. What about the heart? Who's talking exactly. about the heart? We're only yeah, talking, we're talking about, about the brain. The brain, I know, I know. I'm thinking about this as you're talking, and I'm like, well, we haven't said one word about the heart and intuition, and uh huh. <laughs> and brain. that's you know because they heart. don't each. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're not even studying the heart. I mean, what are you talking yeah. about the heart? Yeah. It just pumps yeah. blood. Yeah. What, what, what does the heart have to do with it? Yeah, and it's so, got its own little brain. What does it got to do with it? <laughs> yeah. And I'd be curious, like at the Heart Math Institute, I don't know if they're mm-hmm. doing anything like this. I mean, that would actually be a potential foundation to do some experiments in yes, this area. Who yes. knows, Joan? Before we're done, you and I might get caught up in this <laughs> scientist. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Where we're doing heart research, like artificial, um, you know, how do you, because honestly, it is. See, here's our intuitively. It, it is a combination. I mean, what does it mean to be a human being? It is a combination of the brain and the heart. And who's even looking at that? And how do you? How would you even think about simulating that when you think about actually creating consciousness? Worse than that, mm-hmm. these people who say that you know they can just port their brain into you know some container. <laughs> well, I think they're going <laughs> to need a lot of tech, a lot of higher wisdom before they could really do that. I mean, I hate to inform them that there's something called consciousness. <laughs> And they don't. They just say, "Oh, come on! You're, we're rationalists, and you're just, you know, superstitious." And and prove it, prove it. Well, I'll tell you what. They just canceled it, but at the University of Arizona, they're studying consciousness, and they have a consciousness institute and a science of consciousness conference. That is a a, a very well respected university, mm-hmm. and. People are studying consciousness, and these fields are merging. That's oh, what yeah, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's Stuart Hammerhoff. Yeah, he's on the cutting edge of consciousness because right. he, he is an anesthesiologist, so he works with consciousness every day. And what, you know, is that consciousness being aware and awake versus being, you know, <laughs> out on the table? You know, I mean, it, that's just one view of consciousness, but there are a lot of people working on this concept now. I agree with you. Yeah. So, so really, I think what we can say, and everyone in the field, even if they don't accept that, you know, I'm going too high and they would claim you're going way off field or whatever, going off that this isn't what we're studying, they are defining intelligence in a certain way. I mean, to simulate intelligence, you have to define it. And that has often been based on certain tasks and goals, like, okay, you know, playing a game, that would be making inferences and using logic in a certain way. And even planning moves ahead. You know, how how would you weight different different approaches and and things like that? And, you know, what we're talking about, is higher than that and it's very important because there really are people who are elevating this idea which i believe is not truly helpful to us i mean there are a lot i mean it can be let's be let's be clear there are some really cool things going on in terms of of linking your field joan biology with computer science bioengineering um, oh yeah and like you know, just off. amazing I mean, the things. The medicine too. I mean, it's just the changes that have happened in the last ten years alone blow your mind. Right. I mean, look at the things they're developing for paraplegic. And I just read that, um, you know, in terms of speech 
working with the speech centers in the brain, how they're helping people with speech issues and things like that, um, studying how the brain works and um, you know that old movie. I tell you, they you know somehow movies just and I'm sure it's based on a book as well. Um, Bicentennial. Actually, it has some Isaac Asimov in it as well, um, but I don't know if it's just based on some of his early robotic work. But in that movie, they develop a lot of artificial. Um, basically, the the robot. In fact, this is a form of of, of super intelligence or approaching it the robot in that movie is smarter than the human being he's able to he's also creative now see that's really interesting see that's the higher there's a whole other topic there and where does creativity come from yeah yes yes and he starts developing artificial parts (laughs) right well in that Uh movie and in time you know right now developing artificial parts of the human body you know, so they didn't have to do um, live, you know, they didn't have to transplant um, biological organs anymore. They were creating all the organs artificially, and this is, the robot was helping. And, you know, those fields continue to progress where um, we're working on developing more and more advanced ways of incorporating in the human body um, artificial parts. So that's one way of now when you start doing that in the brain, that's kind of a form of artificial intelligence because you're you're doing something to boost the brain. And it could be implanted in your brain or outside your brain. There are different things that people are working on to help people with disabilities. And of course then you could think about, okay, well what else could you do? Could you super enhance a human being? You know, make that person enhanced things like that and so there's a there's a lot of this that's being looked at so that's the side where we take technology into us which many people are also concerned about because although it can help in terms of medicine and everything if taken too far it could do harm in some scenarios absolutely Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's the other way of developing a robot, you know, that's smart. Now, developing a robot that's human, which many of these fictional things have explored, that's the part where even AI specialists will say we're a long ways from that. And the reason we're a long, and they're just even just thinking about how that they think the brain works. They're not thinking about the heart, Joan, and they're not thinking about higher consciousness and intuition. I mean, they may be talking about some of it, but they just don't all share that worldview. And so all of science has always been limited in some way by the worldview of the people studying. It's the people who jump beyond that worldview that create a paradigm shift, you know, because they look outside the box and then they discover something new and it shifts everything. That's the, that is true science, and I think we're looking at that again. And, you know, part of my um, goals for higherintelligence.net, this new website, it's barely there. It's just a landing page right now, but it will exist, is to explore, you know, who's looking at these things and also the field of consciousness and different things. And, you know, this could lead into other kinds of projects, yes. Um, but 
this is important. It's about our future. Um, what about the earth? Are we taking time to use some of these tools? Who's using these tools to analyze what's going on on the planet? You know, you could mm-hmm. put, you could do a, a rule-based system there. I mean, you can use logic there um, without even thinking about intuition. Are we using this technology for positive goals? Medicine is a so positive can, goal. So you're saying that we can use artificial intelligence to predict what may happen in the future? Well, yes, and to maybe help us what we need to do, what would work, what wouldn't, you know, what kind of a, you know, a lot of things are proposed that may not work. Um, Some of these electrical vehicles, like if you're at at high altitude, they don't work well. Or if, you know, especially if it goes below zero, you know, what then, you know, it could help, help us think about things more intelligently in a way. Just by having uh-huh. access to more information. Yeah, but you I can, just, yeah. I can see where this could be really helpful for governments in planning things. It could. It could. If it, you know, and, again, we have that whole question of ethics here, but you know, if you're right. gonna plan um you know, the infrastructure in a lot of countries needs a lot of work, especially here in the U.S. So how can we use an artificial intelligence and the computers to help us to design something that would, in certain areas, like, you know, you have the heat and the sun in Arizona versus the cold, you know, up in the northeast, uh, and you have frost and freezing, and the, you know, and all of that. You have to take that into consideration. So... You can use that to develop different road systems or bridges or so we can use it for that. Yeah. Yeah. There there are a lot of things and um the power I mean it's still um it still is based on what you put into it. You know, one of the things we've always said in computer science, garbage in, garbage out. You know, if yeah, you put in I know. false so premises, that's my what concern. are you gonna get from that? <laughs> So because once you define something, so if you define it in one way, you limit something. So if we try to do artificial intelligence and program it for higher intelligence or higher consciousness, as soon as we define something, we limit it, don't we? Well, that's true. And the the question I have is we really haven't even been, you know, the scientists in the field, and I was just looking at, at a new a, – relatively recent book that came out just was looking at some of the the new research and I'm really starting to look at you know what's really going on because I was kind of you know this is something a lot of computer scientists may have been involved in in one way or another early on but those of us who have a a higher consciousness um, leaning and you know we see evidence of that it's time to take another look. And I'm I'm really trying to see, you know, who's looking at what, how are these fields merging together, and and how are people exploring. And I know that these explorations are going on. I mean, it's not as if nothing is happening. But there are a lot of people who are thinking about things in a very limited way. Now, how I think that the way that, if you were to develop something, some kind of a shell, see, here's the question. I mean, in a way, Joan, 
we're kind of like robots ourselves, if you think about it. We are a shell, it's biological, in which consciousness is occupying. I mean, there's, and, and do we even understand how our brains are working? This is why the study of consciousness is so important. What's happening in your brain when you have an intuitive leap? What's happening in your brain when you're experiencing a higher level of awareness? Um, what, what is it that causes us to be aware of synchronicities? Um, and, you know, because these are keys to our advancement, and it's really important. In fact, you know, my other question I've been thinking about, I was thinking about it today with respect to this virus is because we're looking at it in such a conventional way, if we were a civilization that more universally was looking at how does healing actually happen, and it is starting to happen more in some medical circles. You know, they're finding that integrative medicine makes a difference. There's things that are mysterious that happen, and, you know, we've witnessed it. I have personally witnessed impossible healings. Um, they've just happened. I mean, you know, they have it. They have happened in our family. I have seen it happen more than once. And you know, what does it mean? And you know, there are two ways that artificial intelligence could be used here: is could the an- analytical skills of artificial intelligence be able to try to find more evidence of these cases? That I would be very interested in. Um, through analysis, but also because we're so focused on these materialistic models of how we heal primarily, a truly higher intelligence system would have to incorporate healing. In fact, an advanced civilization doesn't face, face the same challenges. If you are a higher consciousness civilization and higher intelligence this exploration, it's not just about what is art, how do you create it artificially. It's about what it is. I mean, you've got to figure that out first. What is it? And what is the evidence? Because that's what materialists demand. They have to see evidence. And I believe you can start to surface some things because it will help us to advance because then you can respond to threats in more effective ways. You don't have to respond in a, a, a mechanistic way. You can respond in an intuitive way, like, um, you know, and right now we surely could use some healing. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, we're so actually we being told not to focus for, on that. <laughs> yeah, can we use this for viruses, the, you know, like the coronavirus right now? Can we use this technology or, or a higher level of artificial intelligence to help us with this, to deal with it in some well, way? Well, yeah, and even our own higher intelligence. These all merge together is what I'm trying to say. It be, it transcends technology because all of a sudden you realize that you're looking at what intelligence is itself. I mean, and you may approach it in analyzing, trying to show what is consciousness, what does it really involve? Are there truly healings occurring? Can we analyze that? And But also 
if you wanted to approach, if you even wanted to go down the path of how would you create a higher consciousness being, well, you're looking at it. We're all around. I mean, somehow, wherever we came from, um, we were able, the idea of merging consciousness with this shell, this, in, this biological shell, happened because we're here. And those of us who have seen evidence that consciousness is separate from your body know this. And it's very, so the part of the field where that's relevant is if you ever did want to do the same thing, that's really what you're doing, is basically developing. For all we know, we're the result of an experiment of a higher intelligence species. That doesn't take away the divine that many of us believe exists but you know that have a better understanding of what that is and you know we don't even have to go there um if it makes some scientists uncomfortable if we you know when i first i took a lot of astrophysics in college and i had a professor who would talk about the big bang and he said well before that he said now we're in the realm of belief and he just honestly said it he said okay we can study this this and this but as to why this happens or if this happens or, you know, what's going on, he said, now we've gone into the realm of belief. You know, how do you label it? And I think we get really stuck on labels. With, and so it, it turns people off and steers them away from from just stepping up the steps. And And that's where we need to be is to think about, okay, there's something higher going on. That's why I came up with this term higher. There's something higher going on um let's see I, i'm checking the time myself i know we've been just going on and yeah, we knew we'd yeah, still this time we're, we're up at the top <laughs> of the to hour so. <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah. Do, go ahead. I, I have just a couple other questions for you um you know you yourself are a visionary and you've studied other visionaries other prophetesses that you were on the show before talking about them so what do you and others say about our future with AI? Has there well, anything said about that? You know, that's a really good question. Um, in terms of of seeing, and, you know, I kind of, I don't, I loosely use that term prophetess um, because it's like how do you determine um, what that is? You know, it's usually only by you you have to if if someone says something a lot of it has to do with interpretation people will see things in a higher awareness and they don't know how to interpret it and they use the terms that they know of their day and right right you know and actually that's an area i haven't looked too surprisingly we haven't looked too closely at and it really does need to be a part of this exploration is um, you know, did some people before we were in the age of machines, you know, in the way that we are, did they, there are people who saw the Internet. Um, they mm-hmm. just described right. it in yeah. their own way. Mm-hmm. They could have mm-hmm. also been describing telepathy. I mean, how do we know that we won't someday develop telepathy? Because they knew that we would be able to communicate. And, you know, there are people who talked about devices they saw things that were unusual, but they wouldn't. But they didn't know how to explain it, and that is an area that I think deserves 
more exploration. I mean, as far as anything that I personally have seen, you know, my current experience of intuition is more like what you're seeing now. It's more integrated in terms of um, being led in certain directions of research. In fact, I like to call it intuitive research, although really all true research is kind of like that because people have always had intuitive leaps, is we get led in certain directions and in groups we intuitively make leaps. So, you know, what we've called brainstorming isn't really that. It's maybe, you know, heartstorming too. <laughs> you know, it's it's right. it's intuitive. And uh-huh. you know, I don't know, I know depending on how, how long we go, there was one other area I thought was important in astrophysics is um that, you know, we're looking and this is really important actually. Okay, so we're looking for intelligent life. If you haven't defined intelligence right, how do you know? I mean, how do you know you found it? (laughs) Right. Well, because they're looking for technological societies because they've assumed (laughs) there will be evidence of their technology. And they're not really Ah. finding it. I mean, way out there, maybe they found someone they think might be using the power of a sun. And I'm sure there are technological societies that advance. But one of my premises is the reason why there's something called the Fermi Paradox. And this actually started around 1950 as well with the scientists that basically there should be statistically a lot of civilizations. And the question he asked was, but where is everybody? I mean, he was having a conversation like, where is everybody? And there's this other thing called the Drake Equation, which estimates how many active communicative extraterrestrial civilizations there should be. That, and we're just not seeing them. But what are we defining that as? Because a species may advance to the point where they don't need technology. I saw an article that really got me that mm-hmm. one scientist was theorizing very recently that the reason we're not seeing these technological societies is they've all injected themselves artificially into robots or containers, and they're sleeping. (laughs) They're sleeping. They're in sleep mode until more resources are available to them. So they're just – we can't see them because they don't have, you know, physical form. And it's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, the the, – <laughs> the twists and turns we take what about to verify the, a premise. <laughs> what about the idea that we have the technology within us, and it's only about us waking up to it? Well, then you have to say, how do you define technology? <laughs> well, because, you know, we're just using the, a term. You know, we have yes. everything we need within. Well, and and what really, you know, like I was. We don't even use our full brain capacity or even no. close, which is very interesting, isn't it? And we, mm-hmm. we're not, most people are not studying the heart. Most, most people are not studying who we are. I mean, fundamentally, no. philosophically, this is about who we are. And it's mm-hmm. who they would be. That's why it's so important when you're studying extraterrestrial <laughs> civilizations are thinking that you're looking for them if you don't understand who we are how do you expect to look for who you expect who they will be 
Yes, That's I know. I, I always think that we make these assumptions that, you know, they're going to be like this and this and this and, you know, <laughs> based on well, our yeah. our own biases. It's always based. Well, you know, science, to be fair, has traditionally been based on our own biases. And it's when somebody <laughs> transcends that bias or you know, worldview, whatever that is that they're working from, and they transcend it and say, wait a second, you know, what if it doesn't work that way? And then suddenly, you know, there's a leap, a paradigm shift. And then everyone has to accept the new way of thinking. I really believe we're on the verge of that. So all the terrifying things about technology, and those stories have been around forever. I mean, I grew up watching things on TV like Colossus and, um, you know, of course, there was 2001, which actually also included artificial intelligence, um, mm-hmm. or not, well, actually it did, and also even higher intelligence, I was going to say. That, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, he really was looking at these things. And our science fiction writers are often our pioneers. They, It's as if it's not safe. You know, it's what, isn't it so sad? We live in a world where it yeah. hasn't really been safe to explore these things for real. So we're just going to look at it in fiction, and yet some of the things that they explored came to be and may yet come to be. And Arthur C. Clarke, he saw a lot of things. Um, so, you know, is it could we possibly say that all of this talk of artificial intelligence in the way that we've been talking about it could become irrelevant? I mean, one giant EMP from the sun, you know, we have a Carrington event, um, something very extreme. That's going to be a problem for our technological society. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, We're going into uh, uh, solar cycle 25. Uh, We already had a sunspot. It wasn't very active. But, yeah, we're starting to ramp up again before it goes into solar minimum. Yeah, so – yeah, what happens when all the technology is gone? That's what I'm saying is that we have the quote-unquote technology within. And I That's think right. the way is always within and that, you know, right. there's people that have been bilocating for, you know, and, and remote viewing. And we're going to talk about remote viewing coming up in a couple of weeks, actually. And, and all Great. of these phenomenon that we can do and we have done. Now, we talk about saints, and I thought about this concept of the 21st century saint that we're all becoming. Because, you know, oh, there were saints that would levitate, and oh, there were saints that, you know, could could heal and doing all. I'm like, all of that is possible. All of that is within each of us. That's right. And, you know, it may come full circle. Not only does this impact how we evaluate you know, all, on all those planets where civilizations have not destroyed themselves and have not been destroyed by some physical phenomenon, so they haven't been destroyed for, by an asteroid, they haven't been destroyed by a solar flare or whatever, any number of threats to their species or even a, a, a pandemic, I mean, or something biological right. well, like let's that. Let's not go there um, right now, but yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, no. Well, I'm. I don't think. Well, okay. Well, where we're what we're seeing with that is a disruption. Is that we're fundamentally unstable. We're fundamentally. Um, I've, I've said it recently. Hollow at the core, 
is that we have all these surface-level gadgets and surface-level things that make it seem like we're living in a robust and self-sufficient world, and yet all these things around us are breaking down, and they're so fragile. And maybe mm-hmm. that's one of the lessons that we can yeah, do there. Right. I know it's not – I mean, I know this, this particular virus is – I mean, we don't need to go there except to say that it's causing – disruptions and also it is worthwhile when these things happen to think about healing and we're actually being steered away from that and and yet when you think about what's within and what is truly an advanced civilization which is important you know what is that and what is your goal you know what really is the goal of artificial intelligence we may supersede it entirely I mean, unless it someday so. becomes that we want to create beings like us, you know, with the help of whatever higher higher intelligence, you know, it, it's fundamentally at the basis is the will and the desire to create, um, which is very innate within us. We are creators mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, co-creators. And, yeah. you know, that's the whole concept. And oh, well, so what everything's within there is yeah, no we could get into. We could really get into a whole uh, topic of uh, DNA and how to reprogram that. And once you reprogram that, do you reprogram all of consciousness? Do you, you know, there's that whole thought that we were a uh, trial species here, and we came from other planets that exceeded the Earth, and da-da-da-da-da. You know, so we could go into all of that. Oh, yeah, that's a whole... <laughs> and, you know, those are those are really... These things are important theories. Even the theories that, you know, were part of a simulation of some kind, you know, or a game, yeah. even, you know, or or yeah. what? why are we here? What's going on? How do you explain the big question? And, you know, I think what we're finding, Joan, is these questions are not separated. Um, they're all no. connected. These are all important questions. They're mm-hmm. important looking as to who we are and who anyone else may be across space and across time. And right. it's mm-hmm. all something we need to be exploring. And, you know, how will our species continue in a productive way on the planet in and there are various threats that you deal with. And what's the best approach? And, you know, it may be, in fact, I would, my premise is that it's highly likely that the civilizations that survive go beyond the machines. That's just a step. It's just a tool. Arthur C. Clarke represented it very well in 2001 at the beginning where he shows kind of the age of the tool. And it's sort of like you get past the age of the tool, and then you're realizing, wait a second, it's the age of higher consciousness now. This is who we are. And who we would become, we could be totally different. I mean, how we live, we could be living in, you know, in a forest. I mean, we could find amazing ways to live that were mm-hmm. telepathic or, you know, we develop remote viewing and things. So, um, and um, so that's, that's where we're led because we're thinking about what intelligence is and who we are. Well, this has been quite the show, Susan. <laughs> and there's more. There's more. I, 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 I feel there's Kim, another show your, coming. I love coming on here. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it, it's 
fun to do this um, just after having hosted shows. And sometimes I always feel, well, I ramble on too much. And, and thank you so much for giving me the permission to ramble because I actually, it, it it's an amazing thing. We should all ramble on together. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank you um, for that because um, we have a lot to explore in this world. And, you know, we want a good and thriving world for our children and our grandchildren and for all the children and grandchildren of the world, you know, there has to, we have to really, as responsible human beings, we need to have the courage to talk about these topics honestly and intelligently because it is, it is not apart from intelligence to be exploring the realms of higher consciousness. In fact, that is a exactly where we're led just as you were led joan to your explorations of the heart because that's exactly where we're being led and we need to listen to that guidance and continue to grow those things you know while we can because if we get too stuck in the mechanistic view of things if that's what wins out many of those species probably do not survive you know maybe just a small segment um, because it's just such a risky um, approach to advancing. And it may be a step, but to really have a robust and self-sufficient and universally, multiversally sufficient, however you would define that, civilization, <laughs> we have to expand. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not just about us or self. I mean, it's about linking into what's available. And then what might we find out about communication and who's out there? Raise your awareness, and what will you discover? And, you know, some of, many of us have had experiences exploring that as well. So um, it's it's incredibly important. Um, it has everything to do with Earth's future and our future. Um, and if this experiment comes to an end, because I do believe, you know, we go on as souls and we'll look at it and we'll say, oh, you know what? We went too high technology. Well, we kind of planned that, didn't we? We wanted to see what it would do. Well, that's what it did. It's like we just so so focused on the machine side of understanding things, we lost sight of who we were. And yeah, so yeah. even in that eventuality, which is harsh, we still would go on. But yeah. one would hope we could continue with the the exercise here in our growth. And that's our goal. <laughs> Yeah, our goal is to wake up and not yeah. to forget the heart. We've been so focused on the brain yeah. and the head and all up in our heads that, yeah, to go back into the heart. So thank yeah. you so much, Susan, for sharing from your heart today what I know that you're very passionate about. And yeah. well, uh, we'll you. have you back on again, talk about, I'm sure, more interesting topics. Speaking of interesting well, I topics. Love it. That's great. Next week, I have Jane Reading coming back on because it's Loving the Earth Day. It's the third Thursday of the month, and uh, the two of us do that. So next week, you will be informed, inspired, and empowered. So please tune in next week to our show next Tuesday at 2, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. 
Thank you so much again, Susan. Thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in today and for being part of this world, bringing your love, your light, your consciousness to everyone. Much love and healing, everyone. Thank you.